Hello, and welcome to Sound and Image Lab, the Dolby Institute podcast. This is a show about how artists use technology to tell their stories, and I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Before we begin today's episode, let me start with a gigantic spoiler alert warning up top. Today, we will be discussing in detail the first volume of the fourth season of Stranger Things. It's a show built on suspense, big surprises, and gigantic twists. So if you're not caught up yet, you should really hit pause, go watch the show, and then come back and listen to this podcast. Of course, Stranger Things. I've been a fan of this show since the first season, and I've been looking forward to this conversation. So uh, we've got quite a team today to unpack this volume one of season four. Uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to have in conversation today with us the Duffer Brothers themselves, Matt and Ross, the creators of the show, as well as the writers and directors, and key members of the sound and uh, music and post-production team. So we're joined not only by the Duffer Brothers, but also by the film editor, Dean Zimmerman, composers Kyle Dixon and Michael Stein, re-recording mixer Mark Patterson, as well as supervising sound editor, sound designer, and re-recording mixer Craig Hennigan, uh, as well as supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer Will Files. This team has been nominated for so many awards, it's hard to keep track. So far, the series has been nominated for 31 Emmys and has won six. So I'm sure we are going to be hearing more about the work that they've done this season as the Emmys buzz continues to heat up here in Hollywood. It's no surprise, Stranger Things has become more than a TV show. It is a cultural juggernaut. So with that in mind, I started this conversation by asking the Duffer brothers if they ever imagined when they were starting this journey with season one, what a massive response the show was going to get. And uh, if they had any idea that it was going to become sort of the cultural phenomenon that it has. And I also asked them if the response to the show has in any way kind of shaped the narrative arc of what they're doing. I mean, honestly, we were just shocked someone was letting us make a television show. Uh, so we certainly uh, weren't really expecting any, you know, this a response like this. So um, obviously it's been an incredible uh, ride. And, you know, at least, you know, a lot of the people even here have been on it with us since the beginning where it's Kyle and Michael and, and Dean. Now Dean had experienced success, uh, but us and Kyle and Michael were very, uh, it was a new feeling uh, for all of us. And I think, I don't know how you guys feel, but for us, what we, tr we do, we obviously see reactions and responses, but, you know, once we start to actually write and make the show, we try to shut out all that noise and try to get back into the space that we were in when we first made season one, which was the goal for us. Uh, and, and I think the people that were involved was let's just make something that we feel proud of that we think is, that is cool. And let's and hope that it resonates. And that that's really what we try to do every season. I mean, yeah, I mean, you at the end of the day, I mean, there's a lot of people who work on the show, but in terms of like, you know, in terms of making big, big decisions, say in post-production, shaping the sound and, and the music of the show. I mean, you're talking to a lot of the people. It's a pretty actually tight knit group. And I think we've all gotten to the point where we really respect and trust each other. And then it's just a creative collaboration. You can't involve the Internet. You know what <laughs> I mean? It's just at the end of the day, it's 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 kind of it feels weirdly the same as it did season one. Yep, that's amazing. 
just more stress and bigger. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, yeah. at least we know people are going to watch it. That's nice. Yeah, yeah it was stressful. Really? Like, is anyone going to care? You know, for sure. So that's a that's a that's a plus. It's a different kind of stress. Is Netflix going to let us go forward with synth music or not? You know, no, those stresses are gone. Those stresses. Are gone. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> you guys weren't aware of that, but we they were. There was a lot of concern until we played that episode one. There was it wasn't concern. It was just like it, I, I I didn't realize it till after we played episode one with your score when we played Netflix the um, first episode, we had Kyle and Michael had already done so much music prior to us, even during shooting, you guys were composing a lot of music, not to picture, but just based on the scripts. And we used that to score um, and marker like, and and us and everybody were like, we just like use their music. um, It just almost like as a proof of concept that a lot of it stayed in the pilot. And then we screened it for Netflix. And the first thing, uh, you know, I remember Cindy Holland going, well, you know what? The synth music is working. It's going to work. And I didn't even know there was a debate <laughs> about it, but apparently there was. <laughs> so thank God for that. I was pretty sure we were going to get fired up until the point that it came out. You know, they're just going to replace all the music. Legend style. We, we felt the same. I mean, come on. It's it's uh, you, you guys are evoking 80s nostalgia from all my favorite childhood. How could you not have a synth score like that's that's just crazy talk. Well, you're like, you know, like classic, like stories like Legend or something where it was Tangerine Dream score until it got imported to the U.S. And then the execs just like got it rescored within a few weeks with some something that was orchestral. So we were just like, I don't know. There's a tendency to sometimes want to lean on the orchestral. But we always felt that even though we were inspired by the filmmaking of Spielberg, which of course has incredible John Williams score. We knew that if we had any attempt to ape John Williams on uh, in an eight hour show, we, we were going to fall flat on our face. So that that's, I mean, even when we pitched the show to Netflix, it was always synth because we knew that would be a losing battle to try to try to replicate John Williams. But we knew, um, you know, if we found the right composers that the synth score could really stand out on the television landscape. And I think we were also inspired by uh, Soderbergh's The Nick, which used really awesome synth score to, uh, well, even further back in time period piece. And it was just to us in terms of television scores, that's one of the examples recently that really stood out. And we said we wanted, we would love to have a score that stood out in the same way. So Craig, I I know that you also were part of the team from the very beginning. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your perspective on, you know, the sound design approach since season one. Has it evolved uh, over the time that we've been in the uh, in the Hawkins universe? I think I met Matt and Ross late to 2015, um, you know, and it was a phone call from our producer, Rand Geiger. And he was like, hey, you know, you want to come meet the Duffers? We're, you know, Sean and I were doing this thing and the duffers really like you know liked your work and you know dean zimmerman our picture editor was cutting so it was kind of like take the gang from sean's feature and sort of like you know let them work with the duffers and honestly glenn it was like i met them we really hit it off and i went home and started working just sort of not just ideas for the demogorgon and some other ideas and they were shooting and I, I didn't know if I had the gig or not. I just sort of sent some MP3s to them of like, hey, maybe this is an idea for. And then, as it usually is, they're busy shooting. So like a month later, they were, uh, they're like, 
I got an email like, oh my God, we just came back from set and we're all burned out and we're sitting in like a dark sort of office and we play your Demogorgon sounds and it lights up, you know, the, there's obviously the, you know, the computer must've been cranked or the Abbott or wherever they were. And, uh, so that was kind of like a good feeling, right? That was like, we're off on the right foot. Uh, and then next up would have been cutting the opening sequence of season one, episode one, the whole hallway. We don't know what's going on, but we know the attack in the elevator. Dean had cut that really early in, in their shooting sort of sequences and then sent it to me. And then, and then at the end of that sequence is the music is the stranger theme was the stranger themes theme. And at that point I was like, Oh, this is, this is going to be interesting, but did we know that July when it was released? Like we knew we had something fun and interesting and sort of retro fresh, you know, or whatever, you know, but, um, no, but how could you, you know what I mean? Like that, that long week, I think it was July long weekend. And I got started getting text messages about the show and, you know, and back then 2015, 2016, you know, streaming in my world wasn't really much of a thing it was like the feature world and all that kind of stuff you know so it's been a wild ride and it's been awesome to see matt and ross and sean and everybody sort of blow up like rock stars you know like just to watch that like watch your friends become like wow you know and that show is omnipresent it's in the zeitgeist it's it's all those words right you know and uh it's a good feeling when you cut to season four and now i got my homies with me you know will and mark and everybody else. And, uh, it's just amazing. It's just amazing, Glenn. I, you know, we, we get 270 million views last couple weeks ago or something, right. Or, or hours watched or, or whatever. I love that you guys have been working together since season one. So many of you, you know, putting this together, I'm curious, like how, how did you find Kyle and Michael and knew that they were the right guys to come in and do this score? And how did they get, how did, how did that, those first conversations happen? Yeah, so we, um, I mean, we were just looking at, you know, synth composers. There's not that many established, <laughs> successful synth composers. Um, they popped up. I think they, we saw them initially, um, either when we saw the movie The Guest or on The Guest soundtrack. They had one of their songs was on that. I think that's how we initially became familiar with them. We cut together, when we were selling it to Netflix, we cut together a sizzle reel, so basically a fake trailer that was the first time we tested out synth music. You know, it was cool because we had like John Carpenter music over E.T., played over E.T., scenes from E.T. And it kind of gave a synth. It was like, we're like, wow, this is really cool. Like it, it actually works. And it's giving E.T. this really strange feeling that we liked. And for the climax of this trailer, we used one of their song songs, Dirge, which actually made an appearance in season three last year. And it worked really, really well. And we were like, why don't we ask these guys? We know it works with the kind of footage we want to shoot. We waited till we had cast one on a writer because we thought if we just cold emailed people, they would think we were insane. So we said, we have a Netflix show with Winona Ryder, would you be interested in scoring? And I, I, I don't know, what, and, and I don't know what your guys' reaction was. I wasn't there, but <laughs> you got back to us pretty fast. You did, yeah. I know it was an email, and it was you know the all the good keywords in the first sentence. Netflix, Winona Ryder, sci-fi horror, yeah, synth score. Yeah, it didn't seem fake, but it was kind of like um, we just went to your website and just shot. It was like your your whatever your main. Camp or something because we don't even really have a website. I you had something. Me. I don't know how we found your email, but this wasn't through representation. It was just we Googled. It you. wasn't through Netflix either. I mean, no, it was just a cold email. So Kyle and Michael, 
how is the um i mean has the approach to scoring the show evolved since season four i mean obviously you know the synth stuff is is iconic and has become so closely associated with the show i feel like season four you're you know thematically you guys are going in a much darker direction how has the music evolved over the course of this of, of the show and what are you doing new for season four the most obvious way is that the the first season a bit more mysterious and then as the seasons to progress it's more action more horror scarier sounds and to make that effective at, at this point in the history of film and tv you can't do the same thing that you would do in the 80s so you know because it sounds funny if you have like a funky bass line going when there's like supposed to be a monster actually chasing someone so you have to do more more of the like acoustic type, just weirder sounds versus a more musical approach for that, for the horror stuff. So I think that's the main way that it's evolved. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the process. Uh, uh, Matt and Ross mentioned that you guys composed music, uh, you know, or were working on music even before they went out and shot. Is that sort of part of the normal process for you guys on Stranger Things or uh, kind of what, how does the, how does the flow of the work go through in, in season four now? Generally, we get, you know, a director's cut of all the scenes and we try to score things, um, you know, maybe big scenes first or go in some linear order. But, um, you know, season one, we did write a lot to scripts and a lot just based off discussion. And we've done that in between a couple seasons before. Um, I know the Duffers love having stuff already when they're writing or with scripts or editing because then you can edit to it. So we try to deliver as much of that. And that's like, for me, that's a fun time because it's all about the creativity of just imagining sound and like what these worlds and characters can sound like. So we try to do a little bit of that um, as much as we can. This year we didn't have like a whole lot of time. But you saw the Vecna Vecna theme, you know, the Vecna theme was written ahead of time. A lot of, so there were some big concepts this year written ahead of time in season one, obviously the 11 theme, the main theme song, all of that was written before frame had, had been shot. So I think it helps like even like the main title theme, like the fact they still, you know, cause we still talk to imaginary forces who did the title seat design, the title sequence, how your music shaped what they did. Like we were able to provide them with your music. So we had, I don't know, I mean, they're being, I mean, you guys gave us at least a couple hours worth of music before we started shooting season four. So, you know, a lot of it's changed, but a lot of it is in the show and it just gives us a good feeling of what it's going to be like. And then even the stuff, the songs that don't make it in, I feel like inform what you're working on. Yeah, especially the, the sound, I would like, just the instrumentation at times when we're using like the digital sense and creating these weird bells and like kind of leaning towards the colder sounds and some of the rushes stuff. Uh, it was, we were able to figure out this, like that season four had this colder sound that was um, kind of a bit haunting and a bit creepy. And that went through a lot of the season. Dean, talk about, I'm, I'm kind of curious for you, what's it like, uh, you know, to have that much music before you get started. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious about the, the cutting process on season four, because it's really rare to have one editor kind of shape so many episodes across an entire season. <laughs> Some would call crazy and ridiculously stupid to do, um, but it worked. Thank God. Um, 
but you know, listen, uh, it, it's really only because of my relationship with the Duffers and how much um, I kind of know what they are wanting and, and they trust me and I trust them. And, and it's one of those like weird kind of hive mind situations uh, to use a pun from the show, but it's, it really is. A, it really is when the three of us are in there, it's, kind of this unspoken language, like Matt will be like, can we do, I'm already doing it. Stop. Like what I'll, and hold on, you know, it's like, it's really like those kind of things. So, and with Kyle and Michael, they, like they're being very modest. They delivered us like 140 cues uh, even before they started shooting, which is so helpful for us because we can go through it. And they're so talented as far as like departmentalizing this, all the different locations that we had this year. Um, so it's so helpful to be able to, even if the theme isn't working, their stuff is very layerable. So we can take stuff from one and from another and kind of shape it how we need it as the cuts are starting to evolve. Um, and I would just vividly remember like the Russia sequence, the, Russia, the prison escape uh, from for Hopper in uh, episode four. And that was a big one because it was like I was literally using their cue that they wrote for Russia, this kind of, like Michael was saying, this kind of cold, darker cue that we haven't really been accustomed to in the past three seasons. And it worked so well. We just kind of started layering in some other stuff and, and doing some twists and turns as, as the cut progressed. And it turned into this incredible sequence, which once I finished cutting it, it was one of those sequences like, okay, like we're we're done. Like it's amazing and it's great. And we're not going to really play around with it too much. Um, and then when we, you know, showed everyone, they were just freaking out and it's like, yeah, no, we the music's done. The, we're all good. We just need to give it to Craig. <laughs> I'm curious um, in your work with uh, Craig Hennigan, who's obviously been with you guys since the beginning as, as well. And then Will Files has been with you for a long time as, as well. I mean, Dean, are you getting material from, uh, from sound design and from sound editorial uh, throughout the cutting process as well? Or is, or is it kind of like, are all these, as as you said, the deck of cards, are all these things getting built and layered up as you go through the process? Well, it, yes, they're all getting built and layered up through the process. I mean, listen, I've known Craig since 2006, was my first experience with him, and I've done everything I've done since that point. He's done. Uh, so we are not only like best friends, but we're also colleagues that we, I just won't work with anyone else because he's just absolutely incredible. Um, and so for me, Craig's always just like, yeah, just, just fire me over the scene. I'll bang out some sounds and you can have him. And he's the same with Michael, like in Kyle, they, he kind of reads the scripts and goes, okay, we're going to need to come up with sound for this monster and this. Blah, blah, blah. And so he'll already start feeding me stuff. And then Kat Naranjo, who was with us on season one and all the seasons really, um, and who cut one of episode eight this season she was really instrumental in creating the soundscape uh, uh, from season one. And um, and then Craig ran with it. So we had such a huge base and such a, a big pool to pull from. Um, but we were always trying to, you know, obviously up one up the notch. Um, and we've been very successful. And it's only because of Craig's availability and always just wanting to improve with everyone, like with everyone does on the show. They just, everyone bleeds for stranger things. And, uh, and it's because we just, we, we love the show so much. And, and the Duffers, there's, 
You just want they want to they make you want to work harder than you've ever thought you could. Dean and I go way way like you know I think our first thing together was 2006, uh, the first night of the museum uh, film for Sean and uh, and we just set that workflow from day one of like we're feeding into the avid we're the collaboration the communication is like open 100. He um, you know, we do it all. We do early mixes. We do spotting sessions. We're putting stuff in the Avid. It's a constantly evolving thing. It's really that film. It's really that film idea pushed into like the the schedule of what, you know, a streaming show, the demands of a streaming show, you know, four seasons in, there's a lot more of a shorthand, right? You know, they, they, you know, they have a lot of our sounds from the other seasons, um, you know, Dean, Casey, Cat, you know, everyone that's sort of cutting, in the cutting rooms are they're using our sounds or putting their own things in it the, the matt and ross I, I when i talk to matt and ross we often talk in sound effects we're, we're talking sounds we're sort of thinking ideas so it's always it's always going it's always omnipresent the idea of like what can we do sonically um and that's always been from the beginning because we set it up that way you know and netflix to their credit gave us that room they gave us that you know it's uh you know it's not especially this season with the size of the, of the episodes, it's not luxurious and by any amount, but it's definitely healthy, right? Like you, there's no way we can pull a show off like this without the time. It's just comes down to time, you know, no matter how many bodies you throw at something, you know, if you're not, if you don't have the time to be creative and get ideas going, get things into the avid, get their feedback a little back and forth, get Will and Mark the time they need to pre-mix and, and mix the shows and live with it the show they won't sound the way they do unless we, we sort of fight for that so yeah that's been that's been from the beginning though they've been really supportive all the way through one fun byproduct of, of the the way that craig tends to work with with the guys and send stuff early is that everybody gets to know the sound effects and the the sound design really well and so the the duffers as we're working on things will actually call things out and be like oh craig did this cool thing in season one let's use that for this <laughs> you know in fact we literally we just did that yesterday we just we just finished the, the final episode and, and they called out a thing that they wanted for a specific scene, which of course I won't tell you, but they said, you know, let's use that thing that Craig made for that, for that section of, of, you know, season two or whatever, and let's put it on this sound that we're having in season four. And it's cool because they have it all in their head because they're so familiar with it from having it in the habit. One of the things that really stands out for me about season four, uh, just structurally um, for the Duffers, for you guys to start from a writing perspective is how you, you know, I feel like this is sort of like a, I think I've heard you guys talk about this as the Game of Thrones. He's like, everybody's scattered. Everybody's in there. Everybody's in different places doing, having their, their own adventures. And that kind of presents some great narrative possibilities, but also some challenges. Um, I, I, I'd love for you to talk about why that particular structure was important for you. And then for Dean, what opportunities did that open up for you from an editorial standpoint? Well, just from a, from a narrative standpoint, we like the idea that you, generally, there's been a if there is a formula to Stranger Things, it's that you know our characters they they split off, they they learn something you know in their little group, and then they come back together, and then they, and they use that information to save the day. That was in our initial pitch to Netflix, and it's been true to, of some sort to the past you know for season two and three as well. And we liked forcing ourselves. To, to break away from that formula and going, okay, well, not only does 11 not have powers, but now these groups are learning stuff that they're not able to share with the other group. And so it just, 
it fit in with the theme of what we want to do with this season, which is where season three was our sort of popcorn fun summer blockbuster season where there's more comedy. Now we wanted the, the kids are not kids anymore and they're, they're, they're older and, and we wanted to put them in real danger. And one way to do that is well, let's split them off. So the answers and solutions don't come uh, as easily. But I, I think it's also, what's, you know, to us, what's fun about it is, you know, we do look at it as like a big long form movie as a one thing, which is why I like the fact that we have the same pe- like even marker on as many episodes as we as we do. Because it adds sort of a, you know, it's very cohesive. And what it's cool about it, and, you know, we are we always want to be kind of experimenting with what you can do with a long form. And this is what opened up to me so many interesting possibilities from a sound, um, color, and editorial, and music perspective in, ser- in terms of the fact that it's basically four different movies and genres that you're weaving together. I mean, you have the Nightmare on Elm Street horror storyline. You have a prison escape storyline. Ross and I have always wanted to do a prison escape. We love prison escape movies. You've got the uh, something of a stoner comedy. And then you have this sort of bizarre um, lab backstory, like very trippy, um, <laughs> altered state style storyline with Eleven. So um, anyway, and you're interweaving all of it. So and, and you want every you want it aesthetically to all look different. You want the texture to be different sonically, the music to be different. So. I don't know. It's it was it's it's fun and and I don't, and I don't think this is a season we would have been able to do had we not been working together with this group of people for seven years basically in terms of that we know each other, um, um, we we trust each other, and then we also have seven so we have close relationships, and then we have seven years worth of material as well. So like when you're talking about music, we're not just pulling and looking at Kyle, Kyle and Michael have built up a, 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 a li- the library of music from them is massive. It's it's ma- it's hard for me to even or keep it organized. It's so, we have so many cues from them and a lot of beautiful music that they've written that just didn't make it in to the previous seasons because it just, we never found a home for it. So there's actually an, like, there's a song that's one of my favorite songs they've ever written that didn't make it in last year. And it's going to be in episode eight, right? Uh, you guys know which one at Q I'm talking about, but it's like, so it's, it's fun to find homes for that. And, the, and then Craig is generating new sounds, but he also has this base seven years worth of sound creation. That is the show. So, and then Mark and us, like he's saying, we have, we think so much alike, we barely have to talk. So all of that has led to, um, uh, led to us having the confidence to be able to do a, se- a season that's as sprawling as it is. And then in terms of, even though they are these different genres and movies, I think what everyone here does so well and helps us with is making it flow and transition from one to the next. Transitions are really important to Matt and I, and we, we do write it and we do try to write it in the script, but not all of it can be, we can't write all of it. So sometimes we're able to communicate what we want, but sometimes it's leaning on either Kyle and Michael, where you have, score which is actually flowing from one of these worlds into the next world or you know uh what mark and will and and craig do so well is just have sound sort of smoothly transition and the hope is that it all just flows from you know one world to the next and you net the pacing all it doesn't feel like it's herky-jerky it just feels of a piece even though these worlds are are very different. So that's something that and tones are very and different. tones are like, different. you don't want, you don't want to get tonal whiplash. You right? don't want so. to, but you want, it's, it's a real balancing act between what Marker's doing, what we're writing, what Marker's doing editorially, what Kyle and 
Michael are doing with the music and what um, Mark, Will, and, and Craig are doing with the sound just to get it all all to flow. I feel like you're peppering so many references to dreams and nightmares in in this particular season. And there's so many like little, you've got dream, a little dream by Ella Fitzgerald in there. Uh, you know, I noticed there's a, you know, there's an REM poster on the, on the bedroom wall at some point there. And then of course, like you had this whole section with 11 who is kind of submerged in this memory, you know, retrieval tank. So you've got like, you've always had the the real world and the upside down world, but now you've got this kind of memory and dreamscape in there. That's really important as well. And I love I'd love for you to talk, you know, Kyle and Michael and, and, and also for the sound team about like, were there rules to differentiate the dream world, memory world from the real world, from the upside down? Like, how do you, how do you kind of navigate all those twists and turns in those environments and make sure that it's clear and, and that it's distinct? I put some stuff in some boxes a little bit, like sort of if it was like mind layer or like when Vecna was actually like engaged in a kill or if it was like the memories within the Hawkins, which had like kind of its own tone, there were some like pockets of where to go with the sound design, like what's what instruments we're using. But I th- I think it organically kind of came together to some degree as well. So I'd let anyone expand upon, you know, and also from a sound like with Mark and stuff. I think we're doing a lot. We even did something in a later. We just. Mark did something cool in a, in a, in the, the final episode where we are in a memory. And it's like, how do you communicate that visually? So one part of it, we were messing with it in color and sort of seeing how to get that ethereal dreamlike quality. And then it's always, you know, both, you know, Will and Craig and then Mark, even with the, the dialogue, how much do we modulate it to make it the audience maybe in a way that's not distracting, right, Mark, but you feel something, it's not quite reality. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting sitting here and listening to you guys talk about the earlier episodes because, you know, Will and I came in season three to start mixing and we just felt this kind of weight of like Stranger Things has such a style to it already and how do we kind of, obviously we, we want to try and enhance it and put our own take on it, but how do we make sure we keep it? And a and that's that side of it is a big a big thing you know the different worlds and they have a different sound to them and um you know it's when to do it and how to get in and out of them that is often the challenge and i think you know we've done it enough times now that we've worked out how to do it and if when you do it right it just sounds like stranger things you know and when when you don't have these treatments and ways in and outs of these worlds with the different transitions it just it tells you straight away that it's not working yet you know, and you guys, um, Matt and Ross, you know, it's you just encourage us to try anything. I don't think Will and I have ever worked in an environment where we, we've, we've had the reins taken off so much, you know, just try something, see if it works. If it doesn't, you know, we'll try something else. And I think um, that's how some of those different worlds from, from the way we mix them were born almost because we were allowed to try things that we probably, you know, never would have thought of. If we were trying to play from a mixed point of view, it's like let's not hold ourselves back. Let's take every opportunity we can to to make a sonic imprint. You know, let's make a statement. Yeah, I mean that that's that's it's always been that edict from from day one, and I think that comes from the rhythm of 
how they shot something and then the rhythm of how, you know, Dean would cut it. I, I honestly, I, that opening episode of season one is such a strong blueprint for the whole thing from the lights buzzing and flickering to the Demogorgon, to the, the transitional effects, the stings, the, the rumbles, the, the insects in Hawkins that are actually pitched sort of thing. And they're sort of like doing these pitch envelopes and stuff. That whole, that whole blueprint was sort of created back then. Um, and so, you know, you cut to now season four and it's just, we've just built upon it each, each time, each layer, you know, um, the sound is, is, is big, you know, like, you know, something simple as a door close or a button push or, or, you know, they, the energy that, that the guys want out of the track is, is consistent. Right. And this season has been awesome because we've been in Dolby Atmos as well. So the extra ability to sort of make a reverb or an echo or something just like bloom into the room, you know, you know, obviously, you know, Will and his experience with Dolby Atmos, he knows exactly what he's doing with panning and, and how things are going to work. Um, it's just, it's such an awesome playground, Glenn. It really is. It's just like, it's, it's, it's just one of those shows. It just doesn't come along every day. The amount of trust that they've put into all of us to do our jobs is, speaks volumes and it also speaks to how they operate. And, and that's just, it's, they just want the best of everyone and they allow you to do it. And it's what Mark was saying, things get born that you didn't think would, would have happened. Um, and it's happened so many times on this show in the cutting room where it's just like, Matt will be like, why don't we try doing this whole thing in slow motion? I'm like, what? And it changes the entire like feeling of that moment. It changes that entire moment, which then tees up for something even bigger later. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's interesting how it takes us a, a, a day or so to get back into the Stranger Things world. And I remember on the first episode this season, we were just doing an initial playback, Will and I, and, we just looked at each other and we were like, it's, it's just doesn't, it's not there yet. It doesn't sound like Stranger Things. This was before you guys would, would come in and see it. And, um, you know, we realized like, yeah, we just need to do that bold thing where we, we embrace all of the kind of creative moments. Any, anytime there's an opportunity to do something with the soundscape, we've got to make the most of it. And when you find that little pocket, it starts to have what, you know, what we now know as the Stranger Things sound. We just, we do everyone here, I know, and you guys too. I mean, you, you're from movies, right? And so I think the goal is to, uh, I mean, everyone here is. And so the goal is just to go keep pushing TV and, and pushing what you, what you can do with the sound and to make it as cinematic as possible, even though we know people are going to be listening to it, you know, on a variety of, different ways in their home but what's pretty amazing i mean mark you correct me if i'm wrong but you you are you're mixing now atmos and but it's pretty amazing how well you whatever formula you guys have figured out that it translates incredibly well to so many different home systems i mean i used to go we would used to go after we would do a mix we would go into Netflix and they would, they, you know, they have a TV, they've got their TV, they got their iPad, they've got all the, all these different things and we just listen to it. But now at this point, you all figured out such a formula that I don't really, I don't have feel like I even need to do it now. I know what I'm listening to in that space is going to translate. Well, it's actually cool. They actually, they have, you know, Mark and I don't know how you guys, you get, you said they set it up in such a way there's an iPad there. So if we're ever worried about how something's going to translate, I mean, it never has not translated well, 
or like, okay, is this, is it, are we pushing the music too hard here? Are you going to hear the dialogue? Whatever. We just, we can immediately switch over to the iPad now on stage and listen to it through an iPad. We like to check that it's going to, you know, we're not going to lose things in the mix. That was how it was initially set up. That's where we were going to use it. But I think after kind of a few episodes and every time we check it, we realize, oh, this is holding up. You know, we start to use it less, didn't we? As We just start to trust in what we're doing. But regarding that, I mean, the main thing for us when we talked about it before we started was we just want it to jump off the screen somehow. It wasn't really about translation. Well, obviously, we hope for that. But what we wanted was when you turn Stranger Things on, it just, it's the, you know, it's just a feast for your ears and it just feels kind of loud and it feels like the experience we're having while we're making it. Um, and for the most part, I think we've kind of found our formula and it's working. It can feel, it feels very full is what, it feels very big. It feels very full, whether you're watching it on an iPad or that's what the hope is. And, and you know, I, and it's loud. I mean, it is big and loud like a movie, but I, w- I was telling Mark the other day, I saw some tweet, someone was saying like, you know, I never, I, I always have to turn on the subtitles and I didn't have to turn on the subtitles. Like you can hear, it's annoying to me when you can't hear what people are saying, but you want, I want to hear what they're saying because I have trouble. I'm always like, what? So I often have to turn on the subtitles. So the fact that it, that's what I love about it, that their mix is that you can hear everyone very clearly, but at the same time, it feels massive and it feels massive whether you're watching it, you know, on your, well, I'm not even going to, no, you're not allowed to watch it on your phone. I'm sorry. If you're watching, if you're watching on your iPad or you're watching it on a, on a TV with surround sound, or you've got Atmos in your house, however you're going to watch it, it's going to sound great. It'll sound probably pretty good on your iPhone too, kids. I am ashamed, Mark, that we did ask, or I guess it was Will, we asked Will in episode nine to turn down a sound. And I think that's the first time in the history of Stranger Things, we've said to turn something down, which I'm really ashamed about. We have, we have, well, you have a little like, and we have a little like, tri- like we say, Edgar write it. If we say, like, can you Edgar write it? It just wait, wait, means, wait. What, what does that mean, Edgar write it? What is it? What, what do you? It means to like really juice up a sound. You know, he's got these really heightened, exaggerated, especially on transitions sounds like really big like if someone hangs up the phone and we're you know can we edgar write it so then then you know that sound you know craig and will and mark make it go Shaboom, you it's, know? it's like it's funny because i i you know we were, we were talking to will because he had just mixed um the batman and like matt reeves has a very you know it's very naturalistic style so if someone hangs up you know a, a phone it sounds like someone hanging up a phone whereas if someone hangs up a phone in stranger <laughs> things it's like a it's like whoa, boom. I mean, especially no, it, if it's on. We add sonic booms. Like it's crazy. Like that. It's just, and then or it's like, oh, Kyle and Michael, do a huge riser crash out here. We say Nolanize it, and if we say Nolanize it, um, that means to, you know, push the music over the dialogue. <laughs> it's like just like let the music take. Let's because sometimes you do want the music and the sound to be the a like the star of the moment so we ran into some of those moments in the finale where it was just like okay or sometimes you really want the music like like so we worked we spent a long time on the kate bush moment right at the end of four that was one we checked a bunch on the ipad because it was like it's finding that balance between sound and music and that was one where we let i was like man we really got to let make sure kate bush is coming through but you also want to feel the weight of all that stuff coming down so it was like figuring out what that yeah, balance yeah. is. Because and then there's some moments in the finale where it's like, 
you the emotion of the music. I don't, it doesn't, you know, you don't need to know exactly what they're saying. That's not what it's about. So that's what we mean when we say Nolanize it. So anyway, we have, this is a, the good thing about working with people for so many years. You have these weird shorthand things that you can say. So I, it's like, all I got to say, Edgar Wright, and they know we exactly like, what I mean. We like turning directors into verbs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Something we enjoy doing. And Ross, you'll be you'll be pleased to hear when we did your turn it down note. It took us maybe fifteen minutes because we all had to have a toast of champagne. We finally got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. All right. Well, I, I would you know where you are. I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. You guys brought up uh, Dolby Atmos, and I know this is the first time. You know, season four is the first time that you've mixed and presented the show in Dolby Atmos, and I'm curious. You know, for for the Duffers, like what 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 kind of storytelling. Uh, capability or p- opportunities that it open up for you to be able to present a, a, and to do an Atmos mix? Well, first, I would I have to say that I have Dolby Atmos in my house and Matt does not. So I just wanted to get that out there for everyone. Uh, and then, okay, continuing, I would say- hey, let, me inter- let, me, let, me, let me interject, Matt. If you want Dolby in your house, you just, just let us know. I want Dolby in my house. Of course I want <laughs> Atmos in my house. I wasn't like offered Atmos and then or said, no, I, I don't have a space for it. I got to build a space. Um, you know, anyway, whatever. Yeah, he, he comes to my house, but like, you know, to, to if, yeah. he, if it's a big movie, then he'll come and watch it. And That's right. Um, so- uh, but I think it really is just about um, what, you know, Mark's talking about, which is just um, immersing yourself in, in this world as much as possible. So when we've got the, you know, bats flying over top of our characters to do that audience, it just takes it to another level. Or you're doing something like you're going in Vecna's mindscape where there's all these sort of weird disorienting noises going on. And it's just, again, the more we can do to just, pull people into Max's headspace during a sequence like that. Uh, for us, it's, it's just a win. And for a show like this that relies so heavily on, on sound, um, it's just, it's just another, um, it's an, it's another big tool that, that we can use to um, get the audience invested. Well, the, the Duffer brothers, they, well, we all, we, we love to use the, the, you know, pulling things back into the room, flying things through the room. Um, and now of course we can fly things up and over the top of the room. Um, so that was a real fun thing to have, you know, not just front back, but front to side to back to over, you know, and all that sort of thing. And so I'd say there's not many sounds that, that leave the room that don't touch the ceiling in some way now in this new season um because why not you know it's it's sort of one of those it's one of those shows where it's like well we've got the real estate let's use it um so you know just like there's almost no sound in stranger things that doesn't have a little bit of reverb on it there's almost no sound in stranger things that doesn't come off the screen a little bit if you're listening in atmos so if you're hearing it at home in atmos you're probably going to hear a pretty expansive soundstage uh and it was a really fun you know, sandbox be able to play in. It was like, you know, being able to kind of finally stretch our arms and legs. Mark, uh, the Duffers have talked about this uh, as it being, you know, a, a movie. I, I would, I would kind of counter, I think that you guys have made nine movies uh, in, in season, in season four. Um, I would agree. And it's, <laughs> you know, and sonically it's completely huge. It's an amazingly big track. And yet, you know, it seems like, uh, according to the Duffers, you've worked out some voodoo magic to make sure it translates down into even mobile device speakers. So, what's your what's your approach to that? How do you how do you make sure that everybody's getting a great experience? 
I don't think there's kind of any sort of simple way of doing it, really. I mean, if I was to try and say, where do I start? It would be just kind of containment of dialogue, trying to make sure that, you know, we have a a nice, even um, and warm sound that we can build everything else around. And we try not to kind of stray too much from that because that's going to, that's what's going to kind of um, let us control what the audience are doing with their remotes at home. So that also is going to allow us to make things bigger as well, because, you know, they haven't turned it up to hear something. They're not going to turn it down again. So I guess that's, that's kind of one of the more technical ways that we'd approach it. But other than that, I think it's just using the the elements we have available to us. You know, the sound is the the whole show is built for sound. And for me, from a music point of view, it was interesting, Carl, to hear what you were saying earlier about kind of two modes with the music and how you you know um, how it's evolved. And I, I kind of feel that this season too, and we used it. And we sort of have this mode where we're doing this iconic um, like 80s sound, the synth sound that you guys do that is the kind of main signature of the show. But then we also have this kind of controlled chaos as well that we sort of embrace. And that comes from within the music cues, but also just within everything else we're doing. And I think when you recognize that you can do those things, then you get the contrast, you know, when we embrace that chaos and then we can let it release. I think it's those those are the moments that make it sound cinematic because we have big and small and we're using everything available to us. I'd love to talk about some of the the key sound design moments uh, in the show. We've got a great clip from episode one. Uh, this is uh, obviously very towards the beginning of the show. Chrissy, uh, who is one of the characters that we've gotten to know, meets her very sad end. Let's take a look at this. Chrissy. I mean, when you speak to Chrissy's death, that that's the first time that we really, that's the, that's our shot to establish that guy, him coming down the stairs, Chrissy, and that's off screen. The first line is off screen. It's not even him. So how do you, you know, so the guys were really challenged to sort of, because of course music's going on and all the other, you know, crazy sounds, but that voice had to basically, it was almost like a, I wanted to be like a shockwave through 
through the scene. It needed to basically just like silence everything. And then starting with Vecna's voice, that was something, uh, again, it was one of those early things where the guys were cutting and uh, it's Jamie, it's Jamie, Jamie Campbell Bauer. Jamie um, is, are, is the voice we're using. Uh, and they're like, hey, we wanna send stuff into, into the execs and, and get some feedback on some of these scenes but this guy's voice just sounds regular, but we got this so visual effects. We're already starting to sort of like flesh out what flesh out what Vecna was going to be. Um, and uh, so, and I was like, God, Glenn, that must've been almost two years ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Like, and it was like one of those, like, Hey, can you mock something up, you know, and send it over. And, uh, and as we all do, and, and Will and I both have had pretty, you know, pretty extensive experience with, you know, processing voices and stuff it can be a bit of a rabbit hole. It can be a bit of like a, a hit or miss experimenting sort of thing. But for, you know, I, I found a couple chains that I liked and Jamie's voice just hits these frequencies in the processing that I was doing that just, I don't know, man, it just worked, you know? And I mean, I think I hit upon something maybe the third or fourth sort of try, but my goal there was to really, I really wanted that voice to just jump right out of the speakers. And I wanted like, this is a character that like if season three was about roars and angry monsters and like, you know, all that, this was about a guy who's like restrained and is internal, like trying to internalize his, his, his power. And the voice was going to be, it was going to be so paramount to be like that thing that needed to be right. Um, so it couldn't sound like a monster. It couldn't sound like we pitched him down, you know, a ton um, he needed to just to have inflection and detail in his voice. So, um, I came up with a chain that sort of worked and, you know, I compressed the heck out of it to really make it sort of like, you know, stay and pop and sent it over to the guys and they didn't change it. They were like, this is great. And the trick there is if it sounds really great out of the Avid, when they're cutting in some room in stereo and it's like, you know, they got servers in the room. So the noise floor is like through the roof. I know that by the time it gets to Mark and Will, that it's going to be like, wow, right? My, you know, so it was like, we got to just, and I wanted it to be omnipresent was the thing from the beginning. And I knew that Mark would be able to do that, right? Like, and I was sending over just his voice and then it went to Ryan Cole, who's our dialect supervisor. And Ryan, Ryan sort of like put that processing. I basically sent the chain to him. He put all that processing and all of Jamie's voice. Um, that goes in the Avid. They basically cut with that voice as Jamie's voice now. Um, it goes to the mix. Mark does his thing to it. Um, we tried a lot of LCR with him, right? Will, I think we tried a lot of like making him around us in certain things. Um, I do know that I do know that the main processing that I came up with stuck pretty much all the way through. And then Mark would add the reverbs and other stuff that he wanted to obviously EQing depending on music and other stuff that's going on in the scene. Um, but again, it was just one of those ones. And I don't know why it's with the show that just seems like, I don't know, I just got lucky or like I've done other things. I've other movies I've spent weeks trying to find a voice. And this wasn't the case. This was over a weekend of playing around with a couple different chains and, and just sort of knowing, I think that's an experience thing, right? Maybe just sort of knowing that, you know, you know, I just, it still needed to sound like, wow, this guy is really, I want that voice to be like one of the bad voices in the universe of bad guys. Right. You know, and that was sort of the goal. Yeah. It was, it was fun in the mix. You know, as soon as I heard it, I was like, Oh, that's massive. And then the challenge was to make sure that 
as we're as the scenes that his voice was featured in got more and more complicated that we made sure in the mix that there was still room for his voice to sound massive you know so trying to protect even you know bass you know making sure that there, there wasn't too much bass from other sounds when he was speaking so that his voice would still be the biggest sounding thing you know, so it's sort of like a psychological dance that we're doing to try to make sure that it's always the biggest thing in the mix. And once that's established and once that then I think when you watch the show as an as a fan, you kind of just, you know, you're familiar with that voice. So the trick there was that whole sequence to make sure that all those things worked. Because, again, like it's season one uh, with the sort of hallway, that part of um, 401 it's sort of a, it's sort of the blueprint for the rest of the season of how he interacts with, you know, um, how he's walking, how, what he sounds like, how we're mixing, how we're peeling everything else away so that his voice is is the thing, you know. So um, it's a good. I think the guys really knocked it out of the park mix wise. You know, there's a lot going on there, a lot of story point stuff, a lot of using sound to drive story point. You know, um, so yeah. Craig and Will, I would love for you to talk about the sound design of the Upside Down, that space. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> we hear a lot of grandfather clocks in this. And just talk about sort of how you developed that soundscape for the Upside Down. I, you know, honestly, Glenn, that was season one. And again, it was just one of those ones like, you know, you know, this is the Upside Down and there's going to be particles, but we don't quite, it's not really going to be, you know, it's not like, they're not desaturating the scenes. They're not doing anything visually that way. So honestly, it was like, how do I make how do I make it just a creepy? I kind of just really wanted to make a creepy version of the real world, right? The upside down, essentially. And so that was just sort of like taking. I think I took a lot of like insects and crickets and and um, cicadas and sort of like that was sort of a bed layer of stuff. And then I took a whole layer of like uh, wet sort of like sauna recordings and drips and little things like that, tree creaks, um, you know, and then those mashing those all together and then resampling those and, and laying them back out on my keyboard and sort of performing sort of movement so that it undulates and it sort of has this sort of thing that was sort of uh, that was sort of season one idea coming into season four it was like taking that idea but then maybe adding a little bit of like um the demo dogs because maybe the demo dogs are around somewhere you know so it's a little callback you know to season two um and then and the clocks right you know yeah so there's like little touchstones that we're able to sort of draw from um but a lot of that was early on in season one it was like getting like what we talked about earlier with the echo and delays and and all those sort of things all those sort of footprints were started back then. And, and it was like, how do you, how do you make the upside down? Which when you look at it, it's, it's not really that different some, somewhat. I mean, visually it is, but you kind of have to, you know, it's especially in season one, it was like a little bit of a, of a, of a, you know, a game to sort of like, are we in the upside down? And they would do the camera move, right. To sort of like signify transitional things. Right. Um, but sonically, I really needed to make it, feel like we're into a different thing and that's you know you're leaning on echo and delay and you know you're in an alternate universe but you're really not right so it's that kind of world and and season one musically was quieter in a lot of spots so i think i was able to establish it and then i think will was able to really do a great job you know when there's long passages of the upside down in this season um and that became a challenge because in season one we weren't in it 
very long, you know, or music would take over and stuff. So I didn't have to have a palette that was like five minutes long of, you know, heck, what am I going to do now? So we were able to sort of like amp it up and take other sounds and sort of upside down them a little bit. And then Will was masterful at like how he, how, how it's undulating and coming up and down and, and sort of doing all that stuff, you know? So an, another key sound design moment from episode seven is the, uh, the Russian prison sequence and the Demogorgon attack. It's the challenge is like, how do you make it all sound big without it all making it sound the same? Right. So obviously we want to keep the intensity level up the whole time, but we still want to make sure that there's room for the moments that need to really stand out to really stand out. And so that, you know, you have that room, you have that one extra gear left, you know, one extra bullet in your gun when you really need it. Um, so that's a thing that Mark and I work on a lot is like, okay, let's, let's, let's do the scene. Let's do a pass and let's take a look at it and see, okay, are we too big there? Because that makes this next thing not big enough. You know, so we'll take a look at that. And then, of course, the challenge with something like the Demogorgon and the Demodogs is like, how how do you make it all sound like the same creature without just reusing the same sounds, you know, over and over again? Because, of course, there's there's always, you know, even the Duffers have certain sounds that they're like, oh, we love that one thing that it does, you know, and you don't just want to keep using the same sound. So it's like, OK, well, how can we take you know, a piece of this sound and combine it with another sound. And this is something I'm literally sometimes doing on the stage with them, you know, so we'll take the stuff that Craig has made and then we'll actually, we'll even do some mixing and matching right there on the stage to try to make these moments really pop. Um, but that's, what's cool about having a, a show that has such a sonic vocabulary that's established. Um, you know, you have this huge well of material to draw from. Dean, you mentioned um, episode four, which is one of my favorites. I, I, I love that episode. So we have a great clip from um, Nancy and Robin's visit to the asylum and their interrogation. They're meeting Victor Creel, which leads into the, the flashback sequence going to the house. We need to know how you survived that night. <laughs> survived? Is that what you call this? Did I survive? No, I assure you, I am still very much in hell. I have been back from the war some 14 years. Her great uncle had died, leaving us a small fortune, enough to buy a new home, a new life. Wow, this is amazing. Matt and Ross, you guys gave us uh, an incredibly delicious 80s horror cameo uh, with your casting. I know. In yeah. that, I would love just to, to hear you guys kind of deconstruct uh, that, that, that asylum uh, sequence and kind of how you put that together and the, and the flashback. So, yeah, so Sean Levy shot that one. And I've been with Sean... Ever since Night at the Museum one, uh, I've well, we did date night, and then we went our separate ways for a little bit, and then came back for Night at the Museum, and then I've done everything he's ever done since. So, um, 
like the Duffers, there's a very, very close um, just mind meld there. So um, when he shot that sequence, I knew exactly what he was doing. Um, and of course, the Duffers are going to write in one of the scariest moments, which is the walk down to Hannibal Lecter, but we're walking down to, you know, uh, uh, Victor Creel, which is, you know, I mean, the, so yeah, everything was just like, okay, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the exact same walk. We're going to do the exact same speech. I'm going to treat the, I'm having, I'm going to have Mark treat the dialogue just like they did in Silence of the Lambs. There was that echoey kind of, you know, you're alone. Basically, we're going to have the freaks in the other cells doing their weird things. Um, and then we're going to have this reveal of this guy scratching a you know, metal table, making dents in it. Um, and have this incredible reveal of, um, you know, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> the more interesting part was how we integrated the flashbacks and when we did them and when we were back and forth with them. That definitely um, evolved when the Duffers came in. We had an idea, but then it was like, let's just play. Let's just, you know, let's get a little more exciting. And it kind of flushed out to where it is. But um, yeah, it was it was really a, a privilege cutting Robert England. I think he's I mean, he's the childhood favorite, of course, and just an icon and legend in the whole world. So um, I'm very honored to be able to have had the opportunity to work with such because it, it just his performance. Every performance is just so captivating. You don't want to ever leave him. So that was my hardest part. Was no, no, no let's stay with let's stay with him. And they're like. <laughs> but I would say uh, we so, we did more than in the script, though, right, Dean? I think yes, that for sure. That's that was a, one one change from the script, and it was the same in episode seven uh, uh, with Jamie Campbell Bowers' monologue, where there's uh, the performances were so strong, and in the script it was it was we were a lot. There's more voiceover on the flashbacks in the script, but of course, in this case, Sean shot. Every, you know, Robert for every line and, and that we did the same with Jamie because we go, well, we're not sure where we're going to, when we're going to want to cut back. And so the, the, the great thing about that is it allowed us to go, no, 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 we need to be back on Robert for the, the emotion of this. And I would say that was probably editorially the biggest shift from in both of those sort of our big monologues uh, from script to screen. Uh, I'd love to talk, uh, you know, f uh, for the Duffers, like what what kind of instructions did you give to them about what the Hawkins lab should sound like and 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 the approach to the kind of the, the big showdown between 11 and one? I mean, the honest truth is, you know, um, and, and Mark into this, not much. <laughs> I mean, it's it's we've we have this relate. I mean, listen, because like you're saying it's like nine movies and um, it's just would be impossible if we were micromanaging to that degree. These guys are amazing at their jobs. Like to me, the, the, to me, what I've learned and what I'm going to always take away from this experience of stranger things. And it goes all the way down to casting. It's like you hire the wrong, like this, this notion of even if season one, wow, how did you get these amazing child performances? Wow. You're the, you know, it's like, well, not through directing it's through casting It's through bringing on the right people and then staying out of their way. I mean, you put up guard, you know, you talk to them about what they want, but you hire, you bring on the right people, really talented people, and you do the best you can to stay out of their way. And so for a sequence like that, 
um, yeah, we stayed out of their way. I don't remember um, making any radical changes on seeing the mix. It, it killed uh, the first time that we saw it. And, um, and then, and, you know, we got the right piece of music in from Kyle and Michael and it just came alive. And then on the day I stayed out of Jamie's way and I stayed out of Millie's way and, um, they, and you just <coughs> capture it. <laughs> This season for Vecna and sort of the psychological side of stuff, I was kind of inspired by Hans Zimmer a little bit with, uh, it's an overused term, the Brahms and the sort of like heavy, those sort of sounds and the overly saturated, overly compressed, overly like trailer-esque type sounds that you hear in, in trailers. Um, I was, I had it in my head early on of how to sort of like give Vecna that sort of like, cinematic you know thing and i started manipulating with brams and sort of different types of samples of those sort of things to sort of like when he's moving or when he's like when he's elevating somebody there's you'll hear it there's this orchestra of him underneath which sounds like music but it's a lot of it is actually from the sound design world of what we do um and so the trade-off was like Eleven's powers, which were sort of established in obviously the other seasons, but never needed to be amped up this high. Um, and then Vecna's powers, which were sort of based in more sort of the that sort of like trailer Bram sounds with some feedback and some other sort of like really heavy, like overly saturated, um, you know, tonal things that I would, you know, just manipulate from jets. Manip I would take, I would take a look at sounds that had really solid foundational frequencies and sort of manipulate them and sort of like pitch envelope them and do things so that when he's, you know, doing his movement versus her movement, there's a bit of a frequency difference and all those sort of things, you know. It's a really interesting challenge when you have two characters battling with essentially the same powers, right? And then, of course, you, you've got, you know, music that that's contributing to the drama of the scene as well, right? So you've got you've got these two things that are, you know, similar in terms of how they function sonically. And then you have the music on top of all of that that's driving the scene forward. So really, in, in a moment like that, you have to approach the whole thing like one big piece of music. So I would, you know, take the sounds that, that Craig's created for the two powers, which luckily he was clever enough to make them, you know, in the same kind of universe, but actually did have a different sonic signature. Um, and then a lot of it's just about carving the moments, trying to find the moment when this sound speaks well, and then this sound speaks well. And of course the narrative is the main thing that's driving that, but you do have to really think about it in terms of musicality because the rhythms and then the, even the tonalities, you know, they can clash and they can clash with the music. And so you have to, it's like a dance. It's really like a dance. It's like you have to try to give the audience the impression that they're hearing everything all the time 
when they can only really hear two or three things at the same time. So it's this idea of like, how do you, how do you choreograph this dance in such a way that the audience feels that they're, they're hearing everything they want to hear at any given moment without giving them the impression that they're not hearing the other things that of course they're not hearing. So it's, it's a bit of a sonic um, sleight of hand. But I think what I love what they did do with sound design just generally in Hawkins lab is you get, yes, you get the occasional laughter of of a child, but there is something about playing. And again, as loud as stranger things can be, there are times where you go, I think actually less is going to be more here. Let's carve out some space. So that little uh, lingering laugh over in the corner feels much more haunting. And I think uh, what Craig and Mark and Will are so good at is doing that, is finding moments where we do need to carve out space because I mean, one thing we've learned, and we do this with with Dean, and we do it also with Kyle and Michael and working with the music, is sometimes pace is actually improved by giving yourself space, whether that's less music. And I do love this about Kyle and, and Michael. It even happened on in the finale recently where... They go, you know, I like this piece you used from us, but have you tried it dry? It felt like it's back to back to back. And it actually, it suddenly makes the next piece that comes in hit a lot harder. And it really is the same with the sound, which is that Hawkins Lab is really quiet and eerie. So then when something, you know, this evil force comes in, then it, it has a lot more impact. So that is something we're playing with. And even as we're doing, that almost is the biggest change as we go through passes on these mixes. Is like, well, let's take this music out here, or let's in and let's give it give it some space, or let's play the sound down here and let's play the music up. And it's just trying to find that that right balance. Yeah, it's having that contrast, like we said earlier. And for, we always have conversations on the stage about how nothing can ever sound kind of normal. You know, even from my perspective, just putting like a reverb in a space just to put the actors in a space i'll always enhance it somehow or have a slight delay in there or just something that isn't normal something just so everything sounds a little off you know and it just gives it a stylistic sound that um we've become used to yeah it's the textures that they added and that's where mikhail michael are so great at adding those little weird textures in their in their music and 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 you know we they were talking earlier about like how big they have to, you know, the, one of the big changes is how big they've had to go because of the sequences are so big. I would actually say that's easier because what, what was harder and what they've nailed more than anything is the quiet moments. These moments where we need to have emotion, where we need to have, um, you know, just something there, but it has to be simple and, 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 and enough to be complex, Right. And they've, that's where I feel like they've really stepped up their game to me. It's amazing how you can elevate a scene or an action scene or whatever, where it's like, then Kyle and Mike are so good at that. It was like less, can, less in some of these instances actually elevates the scene and makes it feel bigger. Just like sometimes playing the sound, giving space in the sound makes things feel bigger. It's, it's always a, a balance, but what everyone on this uh podcasts are so good at doing is looking for those moments where no more is not necessarily more here i gotta say like one of my favorite score moments from um episode seven was the the uh, reuniting hopper and joyce um in the in the uh in the 
the the prison in, in Russia. And I feel like that was a kind of a moment for you guys to to step in and really give the the audience kind of a, an emotional shock. Well, it was, it's a perfect example for them. Like, I want the, the, the boys to answer that, but that's not how I originally did it. Like, I'm very notoriously uh, bad at picking music in, in a sense of, like, I always go with, like, okay, let's put in Road to Perdition and have this ridiculously huge score and da-da-da. And then Kyle and Mike are like, you know. And I'm like, okay, well, bring it. Like, like, give me something. And then they send me, and I was like, okay. You know, like, it's one of those things. So it's, I always kind of go for the jugular, and that's where you need that kind of temperament and the and just the brilliance of them to take it and, and take it where it needs to go. I think that's a good example where the, the, uh, the rest of the sound kind of vacuums out, and it almost just focuses in, like, you almost get this, like, not disassociate like it just becomes this feeling where the viewer and the character are kind of engulfed in this feeling and then it kind of opens up and it's really just music so while the music gets kind of big there it's it's more just about an emotion and like a pace uh but there's not a lot going on so it's, you're just really connected with the characters and the way the shot unveils and it just all kind of wraps it up together when it happens it's the simple complexity they're they're underplaying this, but it's like that cue is a, it's a, it's a very complex cue as simple as it comes off. I know it wasn't simple to create. Well, I think what Mark is getting at is, yeah, they, they take these, they have a restrained approach to a, a sequence like that. A typical Hollywood composer, you know, Ross and I shoot it in slow motion. It's a slow motion embrace. These characters have been waiting. You've been waiting to see them reunite for whatever, nine hours and you, your tendency is to want to go like huge and they take it down a lot from where that is. And I think there's something very powerful about that. And the other thing I, I think it's worth mentioning, like what I, one thing I love about, I want, I've been wanting to say this about their Hawkins lab stuff is they send us some weird stuff. <laughs> like I think it is like, like really, and that was exciting because it was an opportunity. You know, it's like some of it's too weird. I can't even put it in the show. You know what I'm, the kind of stuff I'm talking about. But I was like, it's like it is like borderline experimental and it was like finally we were able to use some of this like experimental synth music i have to say it's got to be the weirdest some of the weirdest music on a mainstream show ever and i'm super proud of that we never feel limited to what we can share we don't you're just like 
just sit. Definitely, you're not. You don't seem. I to. love when we, <laughs> when we get like a 30 minute track of like just chaos. Yeah, I it's it's that. wild. We should do. We should release. I was about to say, you guys stuff. are making me. You're making me want to hear an album of the unused uh, Stranger Things music. Someday. It'd be like a hundred hours long. <laughs> I cannot wait to see the final two episodes of the season in a few weeks and uh, looking forward to it. Thanks again for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thanks, Glenn. Good to Great. see you. Thanks, Glenn. Always appreciate it, man. Many thanks to the Duffer Brothers and everyone on the team for joining us today. And extra, extra special thanks to our friends at Netflix for helping us put this conversation together. This was, like the show, an epic conversation and getting all of those folks together for one giant interview was no easy task, especially since they kind of told us they're just finishing up their work on the final two episodes of the season. So thank you once again for uh, to Netflix for putting that together for us. So be sure to check out Stranger Things on Netflix. It is streaming right now in Dolby Vision and Dolby Atmos. We'll be back again next week with another epic interview about another Netflix show, this time with the team behind what might be maybe the most delightfully violent and explicit television series I have ever seen. I'm talking about Love, Death, and Robots. So please make sure you're subscribed to us, the Dolby Institute podcast. It was a very spirited conversation about that incredible series, and you will not want to miss it. You can find links to our podcast on all the major platforms in our show notes, or you can just search for Dolby wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, thanks again for joining us. Sound and Image Lab is brought to you by the Dolby Institute. I'm your host, Glenn Kaiser. Our producer and editor is Michael Coleman. Our executive producers are Amanda Schneider and Jack Ferry, with production support by Taylor Hines. And our production coordinator is Sonny Chen. Thank you for listening. Thank you.